when we uh, when we planned this uh, service and we we first watched that video as a creative team, uh, it's not just me by the way that like plans these services the week of. We we plan six weeks out, and it's a team of people that comes together and kind of puts these services together. Uh, I have to say that video uh, it kind of hit me hard. It was really convicting, uh, almost unsettling to a certain extent. Uh, you could feel if if you were paying attention. Uh, the war that's being waged in that guy's mind between what makes sense logically and, and what God has undeniably called him to do. And, and one of the things I found particularly interesting about that is that he's been at that for a pretty significant portion of time at. And, and, and you would think that all these years later, uh, he would just be doing that with 100% enthusiasm. And, and he'd be thinking like, wow, this is the greatest decision that, that I've ever made in my life. But yet there's still, all these years later, almost this palpable discomfort as, as he talks about what he's doing for a living. Uh, he especially felt it as, as he was talking about the fact that he hasn't able, been able to, to put away money for, for his daughter's college education, something that virtually every other American physician is, is able to do. He speaks directly to the fact that, that the world, in large part, looks at what he is doing as, as complete foolishness. And uh, if you're new to this whole Christianity thing, or, or you may have been maybe kind of going through the spiritual motions for a good chunk of time, uh, this is worth just kind of being up front. That, 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 is, that is frequently what God, in fact, calls us to do. His way will, will often look absolutely idiotic to the world. And, and if I'm honest, a lot of people that even wear the label of Jesus follower will not get it. And, and my goodness, does, does that ring particularly true as we talk about this fifth and final value today of give it up? Because how illogical is the idea that you would freely give your time to something that doesn't necessarily directly benefit you? That, that, that how foolish does it seem that you would give your, your gifts and your talents and your abilities to something that's not going to directly help you or your family? How especially reckless does it seem that, that you would give away your hard-earned money to something or, or, or someone that, that isn't d- directly related to an exchange of goods or services, again, that are going to directly help you or the people that you are close to. Uh, I, I've talked a little bit about this. Uh, w- when my wife and I uh, really felt this call that we were supposed to, to start this church up here in Grand Blanc, um, one of the things that, that kind of took us aback was, uh, I wouldn't call it resistance, but the amount of questioning we heard from people uh, that wore the label of Jesus follower, where we, where we would kind of excitedly share this news with people that like, God's called us to start a church and uh, it's gonna be up in Grand Blank, Michigan. And they'd be like, yeah, are you sure? And we kind of look at them like, what? Like, are, are you sure? Because you have a pretty great life going right now and, and your wife are really already involved in the church. Are, are you sure that's what you're supposed to do? Well, one of the, the, the comments that I kept hearing over and over again was, Shay, like, you, you should really pray about that because you make a lot of money right now and we think you're pretty generous and the church needs people who make a lot of money who are really financially generous and we would just kind of like go home and bang our heads against a wall. We, we, we'd think, where is this resistance coming from? And, and my goodness, if... If people who wear the label of Jesus follower don't necessarily get it, uh, how reckless is it going to seem? How foolish is it going to seem to people who don't have a relationship with Jesus? 
hold on to that thought, and we'll come back to it here in just a second. Uh, but as you've already gathered, uh, we are wrapping up this series today called All In, where we're talking about these, these five values that we want to be very, very intentional about chasing after as a church. And we say at church, again, we are not talking about a building. We are talking about a community of people. Uh, and we basically pulled these five values directly out of the lives of these, this group of people, this relatively small group of people that show up here on a very consistent basis that have like this next level type of commitment to this church. They, they've transitioned from, man, this is something that I have to do, this is something I feel forced to do, to this is something that I get to do. This is a privilege that we even get to be a part of this. The, the, this group of people that are just so excited to show up here on a week-to-week basis, they're so excited to serve, they're so excited to give. It's this natural outpouring of gratitude in response to what Jesus has done in their lives. And as we've been talking about throughout this series, there are really more differences than similarities among this group of people, but there always happens to be this one common denominator. And if you've been tracking with us for the series, you know what's coming next, is that Jesus has transformed their lives. See, see again, these people, they can look into the not-so-distant past and see what life was like without Jesus, and then they can compare that with present day, what life is like with Jesus, and they see how much better their lives are now. And, and that's honestly why we want every single one of you to take these values and run with them. So why we want every single one of you to eventually get to that point, because undeniably, having Jesus in your life will make your life better, and in turn, it'll make the lives around you better as well. And so these five values that we think that, man, you all would be wise to run after, whether you call yourself a Jesus follower or not, because again, these are things that create almost exclusively positive effects in our lives. Uh, These values are assume the best, celebrate creativity, make it better. We talked about always be teachable last week, and and this week we're wrapping up the series again as we talk about give it up. And we really think, um, actually, that this series is a big deal, particularly if this is a place that you regularly show up to, this is a place that you would call your church home. Uh, This is kind of one of those stake in the ground type series. This is one of those series that really defines who we are and and what we're running towards. This really defines, you know, what this church, what this community is really all about. And so if you haven't been here for every week of the series, we know it's hard, it's summertime, make sure you're going online uh, and you're catching yourself up there or find us under Grumlaw Church wherever you grab your podcast. But before we go any farther here uh, this morning, I'd love to pray for you and pray for me. So allow me to do that now. Father, uh, we just say thank you that you are again a a God that is just so good to every single one of us, um, that you're chasing after every single one of us. You're so patient with us. It's one of the things that I just am reminded of over and over and over again, that you're just, you're so patient and and you're so kind uh, to every one of us. And so we just ask God that uh, every person in this room would be open to whatever it is that Uh, You want to say today, uh, no matter how hardened our hearts maybe are walking in, no matter the wall that we've maybe put up and thought, okay, I'm not going to listen to a word, uh, that that we would just be open again to whatever it is that you may want to say to us today as as wonky and as crazy as that maybe sounds to some of the people that are sitting here. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Now, before we kind of really dive into this here this morning, I I just want to call attention here for a minute to the elephant in the room, that that for a lot of people, that this topic that we're touching on today, this topic of give it up or generosity or or giving, it it certainly has kind of this unique ability to create tension, this unique ability to kind of make people feel uncomfortable. People tend to be a little sensitive as it relates to this topic, again, of generosity. In fact, it's one of the biggest reasons that people will actually cite as to why they don't want to come to church. It's one of the biggest reasons that people cite as to why they've been turned off by church. And, and overwhelmingly so, we, we even hear these people say from time to time that the church is just after my money. 
Some of you, if we took a poll right now, you've been involved with church for long enough as you've invited friends, have you invited coworkers? This is one of the excuses that gets slammed back in your face that the church is just after my money. And for some people, I don't want to deny this, that, that, that might actually be the case. But for most people, what research, and I'm actually really thankful for this research, what research has actually indicated is that this is actually rarely the case. Meaning that th this is one of those excuses that people like to use when they just don't really want to come to church in the first place because it's an easy excuse, because it's low-hanging fruit, fruit. But it's not actually the reason. Let, let me give you an example. It'd be like my wife and I. Uh, we, we have two girls that live with us, Kat, uh, who you see up here singing all the time, and, and Lisa. And, and Lisa, who's actually sitting right here in the front row, and she just loves that I'm talking about her right now. Uh, Lisa is crazy about musicals. I mean, she loves musicals so much. I don't think she's ever watched a musical she didn't like, and her like musical of choice right now is Hamilton. I've never seen Hamilton. I've heard the songs playing sometimes in the kitchen as she's like making dinner, but she like loves Hamilton. It is her thing right now. It would be like Lisa coming to my wife and I and saying, hey, you know what? I I'm just so thankful for you guys and you know, allowing me to live with you and just like inviting me into your family. And so one of the ways to give back to you guys is I want to invite you guys to Hamilton. I got three tickets and I'd love for you guys to come with me. No sooner would that invitation be exiting her mouth than I would be scrambling for reasons as to why I could not go to Hamilton. <laughs> I would be sitting there and I, and I might eventually land on, you know, Lisa, like we tried, but you know, we're just having trouble finding a sitter. You know, we're just having trouble. So I tell you what, I'll take one for the team. You and Andrea go. You can even find that third person. I'll stay back. I'll suffer with the children. You know, I'll watch the kids, and, and, and I'll, I'll just take one for, for the team. Um, now, did I work really hard to find a sitter? No. I, I mean, there's, there's a whole church full of people. I mean, literally, there, there are so many of you that have literally come up to my wife and I. It's so kind. And you're like, hey, we would love to watch your kids for free at some point, just, just to kind of give you guys a, a night to yourselves. I mean, if I really made some phone calls, could I probably make it happen? Of course. But the reality is, is I don't want to go. I, I would rather do just about anything else than go to a musical. I mean, I would rather watch grass grow. I would rather just stare at the sky and watch clouds go slowly sauntering by. I can think of few things in this world that I would rather do, not do, than go to a musical. So I'm going to use the sitter excuse, but that's not really it. And the reason that I bring that up is that is precisely what is going on with the money thing at church. A small, I mean, a tiny percentage of you, you really can't find a sitter. I mean, there's a couple of you that, that you really, I mean, it's probably two or three people in this room. You, you have really had a terrible experience as it relates to the local church and finances and giving. But most of you, come on, be honest. You don't have to admit it to anybody else, but admit it to yourself. It just happens to be the reason that you're using. It happens to be the excuse that you are using. And the reason that I bring all that up is because I think that we are being unnecessarily sensitive about this subject. It's maybe not quite as touchy as we are perceiving it to be. In fact, money, uh, the topic of money, is mentioned uh, over 800 times in this book that we refer to as the Bible. It's in fact one of the three most popular subjects in all of scripture. Uh, Jesus and many other people would freely talk on this subject, and, and I'm a pretty simple man. If it was good enough for Jesus, 
It has to be good enough for me. Uh, If Jesus would talk about it all the time, I think that we as a church should regularly talk about it as well. And the reason that, by the way, Jesus would speak about this subject all the time, giving and generosity and money, is because it's something that we all, whether we would like to admit it or not, whether you're a Christian or not, it's something that occupies, let's be honest, a lot of our brain space. I bet just about every single person in this room, you've probably thought about something related to money here over the last 24 hours. In fact, Jesus knew what what deep down I think we all actually know to be true, that, that for all of time, God's chief competitor for your heart will always be money or stuff or possessions, or things that you inevitably purchased with money. And and here's the thing, Jesus desperately wants a relationship with you. So much so that he died on a cross for you. And, And what he's trying to do is remove obstacles that might get in the way of him having an actual relationship with you. And the biggest obstacle, the biggest competitor in your life and in my life will forever be money. Now, candidly, one of my biggest challenges when I teach on this subject, and by the way, I love teaching on this subject. It's something that I'm passionate about. But one of the biggest challenges, honestly, is just figuring out where to go in Scripture. Because like I said, there's a lot of options. And so it's kind of daunting as you look at all these different passages that you could dissect. But this week, as I was preparing this message, I kind of felt God direct me towards uh, one observation, one little story that we find here. It's actually more of an observation that Jesus and his disciples have one day while they're spending some time in the temple, which would be the Jewish church. Back in ancient Jerusalem, Uh, The most popular religion was Judaism. And oftentimes, it was kind of like the hub of these cities. People, a lot of people, even the people that weren't necessarily Jewish, would come and hang around around these temples. It was kind of the center of the city where all the things were happening. I mean, all these busyness would happen around these temples. And the particular story that we're going to be looking at today, we actually find it recorded for us in Luke as well as in Mark. Uh, It's one of the unique things about the gospel books. For those of you that don't know, the first four books of the New Testament, or the second half of the Bible, are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We frequently refer to those as the gospels or the good news. Those terms are actually synonymous. We call it the good news because those four books record Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection as told from kind of four different people's perspectives. And what we often find within the gospels is that some stories are told the exact same way. They're told in the exact same place uh, in Matthew and Mark and Luke and in John. Sometimes in just a couple of them, sometimes in three of them, sometimes in all four of them. This is one of those instances where, again, it's recorded for us in Mark and it's recorded for us in Luke. And so as I was looking at this uh, uh, this week, as I was preparing for this, uh, one thing that I found is that these passages are virtually identical. And so if you're wondering, okay, why did I choose to, to dive into Mark as opposed to Luke? There was really no good reason that they're virtually tell the exact same thing. And in fact, that's one of those things that if you're skeptical of Christianity, you ought to pay attention to. The similarities that we find, despite the fact that they were written by completely different people, and in some cases, in some cases, people that never even knew each other. And so we're going to jump here into Mark chapter 12, or Mark chapter 12 uh, where Jesus and his disciples are just kind of hanging out around the temple. It says here, Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple, and he watched as the crowds dropped in their money. Many rich people put in large amounts. Now, rather than passing a bucket as we do here, rather than having online giving or text to give, they obviously didn't have that technology back there. What these Jewish temples would in fact have were 13 different giving receptacles scattered throughout the temple. And, and if you so chose, you could walk into the temple and there are all these receptacles. You go around and deposit money into, these, one of the, into one of these containers if you so chose. Now, it might sound a little bit weird here, 
that Jesus and his disciples are like hanging out and watching this go down. But, but it's important to get a little bit of the context here and, and jump into a little bit of the time frame that they were sitting at at this point. Uh, for whatever reason, we don't know exactly where it started, but it's these rich people, as it said here, had kind of started this trend where they made a big show of this. That they would come by these containers and literally intentionally throw the money harder into the receptacle so that people would turn their heads. So that people would know for sure that that guy just gave. It gives the impression that they were swinging by the bank on the way in and exchanging their $100 bill for quarters and coming by and like clanking it as loudly as they possibly could. They wanted the attention. They wanted people to turn their heads. And in turn, a natural byproduct was what Jesus and his disciples and many others were doing would be to just sit around and literally watch as people deposited their money again into these receptacles. It's like a person that buys like a bright yellow Corvette. Okay, you are not buying the bright yellow Corvette to be discreet. You're not buying that sports car so, so that you can just kind of fly under the radar. You're not going to admit it, but you love it when you pull up to the stoplight and everybody starts turning their head. And you got your aviators on, you're like, yeah, that's right. Everybody thinks I'm sweet right now. What we're really wondering is what possesses a grown man to buy a yellow convertible. But anyway, and Jesus is watching. He's watching all this kind of stuff go down along with his disciples and certainly other people as well. It says, then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. Uh, it would be the equivalent of, of, in modern day, about one penny, a, a very small amount of money. And, and I guarantee you that this widow was not trying to make a show of this. In fact, she was probably taking steps to make sure that people did not notice because it was such a painfully, it was such an embarrassingly small amount of money. She probably waited till everybody's heads were kind of cumulatively turned, then put the money in, and then tried to scurry off and be like, okay, I'm out of here because I hope nobody saw that. But Jesus, because he's Jesus, he's the son of God, he catches it. And he uses this opportunity as, as a teaching moment with his disciples and thus a teaching moment with you and with me. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I tell you the truth. This poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions. And so again, you just kind of picture him and his disciples. I don't know what they're like sitting on, maybe on a curb, maybe just kind of sitting back and they're watching all this. And all of a sudden Jesus catches the widow, dropping the two small coins. He goes, oh my goodness. He goes, hey guys, come here, come here. And they all huddle up as they're excited about what Jesus said. Did you guys see that? They're like, yeah, yeah, Jerry. Yeah, Jerry, right? He gave a lot of money, like three, four, five thousand. He said, no, 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 I'm not talking about that. Did, did you see that lady over there? Did you see how much money she just gave? And they're like, no, we didn't catch that. Her? It doesn't seem like she would have very much money. Jesus, how much she give? And he's like, she gave two small coins, about one penny. And then he goes on to say that line. Again, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions, to which point all the disciples would have started looking at each other and been like, what's this guy talking about? I mean, you want us to believe that you're the son of God and you can't do basic math? Like, apparently they don't have algebra class in, in heaven. Je Jesus, what are you talking about? But they don't open their mouths because by this point, they have spent enough time around Jesus to know that it's best to just shut up in these situations because they, they, they've been embarrassed so many times over and over where they shoot their mouths off and then Jesus teaches them a lesson. They're like, gosh, dang it. And so they know, just, just be quiet. Just wait for the moment. It seems strange what he's saying right now. But then he comes in, he says, for they gave a tiny part of their surplus. But she, poor as she is, has given everything, everything she had to live on. And, and here is where we get a glimpse into Jesus thinking versus everyday people like me and you thinking. See, God does not care about the amount. He doesn't care about the what 
He doesn't care about the quantity. God cares about your heart. He he, he cares about your devotion. He he cares about your motivations. It's so easy, as I was thinking about this week, particularly in a church where where we rest solely. I mean, we we survive based on whether or not you kind of cumulatively, you as a group of people give or not. But, But it's so easy in environments like this that rely on the generosity of other people to somehow think that this place is gonna rise and fall based or not whether you give or I give. Or, or, or that family gives. But, but think of how, think of what an incredibly, incredibly small view of God that is. That, that, that God is somehow up in heaven, pacing back and forth, going, oh my goodness, he better give this week. Oh my gosh, she better give this week. I mean, if they don't give this week, we are going to be in trouble. And then when you deposit that check in, when you go online and you give, he's up there going, whoo, that was a close one. Thank God. Actually, he's going, thank me. We needed that money. As those people were making this show of their gifts, and this is something that was happening day after day after day, it disgusted God. I'm telling you, he would have rather them just kept the money in their pockets. He wasn't impressed because he knew their hearts. He knew that the only reason that they were giving, the only reason was so that they could get recognition. He knew that the only reason they were giving is so people would turn their heads and go, oh my goodness, did you just see how much? They were giving for the recognition and he's going, Jesus is communicating to the disciples and thus communicating to all of us, you're totally missing the mark. Do not give for a show. Give out of your thankfulness because of what I have done for you. Give because this is just a small, tangible way to praise me for what I have done in your life. Give because you're smart enough to know that the chief competitor for your heart And having a relationship with me, again, will always be money and stuff and possessions. And this is the only way that you battle against it. This is the only way that you will fight against greed. Give because this is the example that I have given to you. Remember when I died for you. And who has ever been more generous than that? Give because you recognize it all came from God in the first place. Now, if you've been zoning out and not really paying attention to me, this is important, so bring it back in here for just a couple of minutes. This is ultimately what's at the crux of all of this. It's a recognition, it's a realization that it all came from God in the first place. It's a recognition that every dollar to your name, that every skill, that every talent, that every gift that you have, that every minute that you have on this earth, that every breath that you breathe is a gift from God. And God has in fact entrusted all of that to you so that you might be a good steward with what you have already been given. And and here's the deal. When, When you actually embrace that, when you accept that as truth, I'm telling you, it becomes so much easier to give. And yes, if you're new to this whole Christianity thing, this sounds stupid. It sounds absolutely absurd. It sounds completely backwards. But the reason, you Jesus followers, and so if you don't follow Jesus, if you're just kind of on the fence of this whole thing, you're off the hook. But for you Jesus followers, the reason that you ought to pay attention to this, 
The reason that this ought to be a part of your life is because you recognize what Jesus did on a cross for you. And that was the single most selfless, generous act in the history of the world. And as Jesus followers, we are not called to just talk about it. You are called to live it out. We are to be breathing, living examples of Jesus, and we never look more like Jesus than when we are being generous. Now, I know I got a little excited there. In addition to this being a command for Jesus followers, again, I would encourage you to do it, whether you're a Christian or not, because again, it's one of those things that will create almost exclusively positive effects in your life and in the lives around you. And I could give you a lot, a lot of reasons here this morning as to why that holds true. I mean, we could spend literally the rest of the year talking about the positive effects that giving has on our lives, but perhaps the most convincing, perhaps the most compelling piece of evidence, perhaps the most compelling argument that we have is that this is the only way, there's no other way, this is the only way that you are going to break the power of greed in your life. If you haven't figured this out by now, we are, as human beings, conditioned to constantly want more, which just in case you didn't know, that is kind of the textbook definition of greed. We are all greedy at some level. And always chasing after more leaves you, ironically, feeling empty. It leaves you frustrated. And while you might have a lot of stuff, and while you might have a lot of possessions, and while you might have a lot of things, your life finds itself absent of meaning. And chances are, in fact, I didn't need to tell you that. Because your life, or probably somebody around you, their life has shown you that. Some of the most miserable people that you and I both know are some of the richest, most selfish people that we know. And Jesus would tell us that's not an accident. That, that is not some strange coincidence that you have somehow stumbled into. But when we practice giving, it frees us from greed. And we inevitably find ourselves right where every single person wants to be. We, we, we find ourselves with the very thing that every person on this planet is chasing after. We find contentment. See, we naively think to ourselves, when I get that house, well, then I'll just be happy. Then I'll just be good. Well, then you get into that house, you go, crud, their house is nicer. You, you think to yourself, when I get that promotion, then we'll be good. We'll have all the money we ever needed. But guess what? When you get more money, you figure out new ways to spend money. You are so stinking creative. Way to go. And you inevitably want more money. And so then you're chasing after the next promotion. We tell ourselves that once I get that toy, once I get that fun thing, then all will be good. But then you find yourself chasing after the next thing because that joy and that excitement off of what you just bought already has worn off. We are all seeking to find contentment. And sure, it manifests itself in different ways, but ultimately it's what we are all after. And Jesus, I mean, I just picture him sometimes sitting up in heaven, has to be going, what in the heck is wrong with you people? Could, could, could I have not made this any more clear? I know it sounds backwards. I know it sounds counterintuitive. But you will find this contentment that you are chasing after if you just give it up. Grumlaw Church, everybody that's here right now, God does not need anything from any of you. It's way better than that. He instead, he instead wants something for you. And that is way better. And so here are three very, very practical ways that we can practice this value of give it up. Give it up with your time, 
Give it up with your talents. And lastly, give it up with your treasure. First, give up your time, particularly for the benefit of those that are less fortunate than you. I want to take a second right here and just brag on this church. You guys as a church have been so extraordinarily generous with your finances. I'm not just saying that. We don't just like say that to brainwash you here on Sunday mornings and to get into the trick you to think that all is like well. But, you know, for a church plant, generally speaking, it takes like three years for that church to be self-sufficient. And so people like me are running around like chickens with their head chopped off trying to like raise money to make ends meet. But y'all have been so stinking generous with your finances. Now, that's the good news. Here's the not so good news and bring it back to earth. We have been horrible with the time thing. I'm serious. Like, I'm just being honest with you. I mean, you you guys know me. I I know you. We we have not done a good job with this. Last summer, we did these three different cleaning green events that that Melissa was talking about with Franklin Avenue Mission. And uh, the most people, we did three, one in June, one in July, one in August. Every Sunday, we have between three and 400 adults that show up here on Sunday mornings. And, and, and the most we ever had, correct me if I'm wrong, I think we had nine people come one time. The last one, we had 19 people sign up and two came, and one was on staff. I mean, it, we've had to like go back and apologize to them, be like, we don't know what's going on. We promise they're generous. We're seeing evidence of that, but the whole time thing, and I know, I get it. I get the excuse. I just don't have time. We are just so busy. As as we've talked about over and over again, we so often say yes to good things and we neglect the best things. It's this laziness, it's this unwillingness to rearrange our schedule for anything that doesn't necessarily directly benefit us. I think a lot of people, I mean, come on, be honest, that are sitting in this room, it's way easier for you to write a check than sacrifice two hours on a Saturday. And so that's why I, I have all the faith in the world because we have seen you guys have this ability to give it up in other areas that we can correct course here. That, that we can be known for a church that isn't just generous with our treasure, but we're also generous with our time. And so it's not an accident that we are throwing that out there today, that this, this clean and green, we're only doing one this summer is on August the 3rd. And I really do believe, and as I've been praying about this and, and preparing this this week, I really do think we'll have between like 50 and 100 people that are gonna show up to that thing. Because you have shown yourselves to be a church that don't really get mad at me when I'm really blunt. And and you respond, and you you allow God to kind of permeate and speak to your lives. So let's blow Franklin Ave away with the response that we see on that. Give of your time. Give for your time for those that are less benefit than you. Number two is talents. Whether you believe this or not, God has uniquely gifted you. Use your talents. Use your gifting. Use your skills for the benefit of other people. This, uh, this past year, a couple of months ago, the well in our yard, uh, I, I don't know anything about a well, and I feel like now I kind of have like a PhD in it. There were all these issues that were happening, and initially they told us it was going to be like this $300 repair, no big deal. You know how they always are. It's no big deal. We'll just dig up your yard a little bit. Well, come to the end of it, it cost about 10 times what they initially told me, and our yard kind of looked like just a bomb had been off in it. I mean, there's just mud everywhere. We no longer have a yard, and I'm looking at this like... This is going to take me years. I mean, honestly, it's just going to become this weed-infested mounds of dirt. And there's a guy at this church, his name is Kyle Cross, and he's like really handy with landscaping. In fact, it's what he does for a living. He heard about it, and he sacrificed one night. He came over with this machinery, and he was like ripping around in the yard. And in two hours, he did what honestly would have taken me weeks. He gave his skills, he gave his talents to something that, that in no way benefited him. Guess what? He has never been over to the yard since and just admired the grass. He did it for, for the benefit of, of no one but, but me. Now, now, that's not obviously a call for all of you to come over and help with my landscaping. You get the idea, though. Help with those skills. Whatever way that God has uniquely gifted you, use that for the advantage of other people. And then, and then lastly is our treasure. 
And, and honestly, for most people, this, this is the hardest one because we never seem to think that we have enough. This is usually the last thing that people will hand over to God, and statistics would say it's actually the thing that people never end up handing over to God. And if I'm honest, I think that that crushes God's spirit. I think it breaks his heart. And again, it's not because he needs your money, but because he knows, he knows what would change in your life. If you could just loosen that grip of greed in your life and you would begin to experience contentment like you have never experienced before. Whenever we talk about generosity here and, and giving specifically of money, I, I always throw out the 90-day challenge. Uh, if you're wondering where do you start, uh, I think you ought to start with a certain percentage. Don't just give 10 bucks here and 5 bucks here. You give a certain percentage of your income. And I, I think you actually ought to start at 10%, which I know for some of you it sounds crazy, but 10% of your gross income. But at the very least, pick a percentage. And, and the 90-day challenge, challenge goes like this. Pick for the next 10, 90 days, give some percentage of your income away, a consistent percentage for the next 90 days. Again, I would recommend 10%. And if at the end of those 90 days, you are not experiencing contentment like you've never experienced before, if at the end of those 90 days, you come back and you're like, I need that money back, we will refund you every nickel. Even, even, I, and I always am quick to say this, I could care less whether you give here. I'm not just saying that. I don't care because I know our God is bigger than based on whether or not you give or not. So give to some charity that's been on your mind. Give to some other nonprofit. Give to some other 501c3. And you show us the receipts to that one, we'll give you back that money. That's how strongly we believe in this. That's how strongly we want this for you. Take these next 90 days and begin to experience contentment like you have never experienced before. Break that power of greed in your life. Some of you that are sitting here today, you're sitting pretty. You're back like, yeah, we give. We've been doing this tithe thing. You need to begin giving more. Again, 10% was never meant to be the finish line. It was meant to be the starting point. As we saw today in that story, Jesus could care less about quantities. He cares about our hearts. We as a staff, we just got done reading this book uh, called Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. If you've never read that book before, it's one that we would highly, highly recommend. The same C.S. Lewis that actually wrote like all those books like The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And so he just words things in such a creative way and gets you thinking in ways that are, you know, normally I don't think our brain would go there. But in this chapter about charity, he has this to say. He says, if our charities do not, do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say they are too little. They're too small. There ought to be things we should like to do and cannot do because our charity's expenditure excludes them. The, the translation here, to put that in layman's terms, is if your giving is not precluding you from doing things that you would normally do, from buying things that you would like to buy, you're probably not giving enough. And, and by no means am I sitting on a soapbox up here. That, when I read that, I was like, oh, that hurts. Because my wife and I, we, we, we certainly give, but I, I can't tell you the last time that we gave and it, it disallowed us to go on that vacation. I, I can't tell you the last time that we gave and then we, we told our kids, sorry, we're not buying that now. One of the things that my wife and I practice is that every year we, we, we try to give, uh, not try, we, we give a higher percentage than the year before. In, in full disclosure, the, the veil, the look behind the veil is that we would eventually get to a point where we're giving away more of our income than, than we're keeping for ourselves that we'd be a part of that 51-49 club, that, that you're giving away 51% and you're living on the other 49% and just keep growing that number year over year. 
Now, last word of wisdom, and then I, I promise I'll be done here. Uh, initially, this is going to feel, ugh. Uh, initially, this is not going to feel natural. It, it is going to feel like, I can't believe I'm giving up that Saturday. I can't believe I just signed up on that clipboard crud. Now they got my info. They're going to call me. They're going to make me come. I can't believe that I said yes to that. I can't believe that I wrote that check. We don't know where that money is going to come from. And one of the things that I have heard so much as a pastor, one of the things I hear over and over again, is that people will not give because they're like, isn't there some verse in the Bible or something? It says something about this. Like, God loves a cheerful giver. Like, be cheerful when you give. And so if you ain't cheerful, you better just keep your money in your pocket. (laughs) As we've been trying to beat in your heads throughout this series, your actions will always precede your attitude. If you wait until the moment where you are so fired up about writing that check, that you are so fired up about giving up your Saturday, you're so fired up about giving your talents to to something that doesn't benefit you, you will be on your deathbed and you will give it away like $13 and sacrifice 20 minutes. Your actions will always proceed. Your actions will always precede your attitude. Start practicing these things and watch how your state of mind, watch how your attitude, watch how your spirit begins to follow suit. Y'all, I want this for all of you so badly. And again, to be very clear, it's not because we're after your money. It's not because we are after your time. It's not because we need your skills. I want this for all of you so badly because I have seen time and time and time again with people where God finally gets this part of your life. And I see the freedom that people experience. The countless people that have come up to me and said, I have no idea why that took me so long. It it is insane how much easier it is. And I know this sounds about as brain dead as can be. But it is insane how much easier it is to live on 90% than 100%. It's incredible what begins to happen in our lives when we finally break the power of greed something that has been binding every single one of us since birth because, again, we live in America. It's not as hard to convince this of people that are living in third world countries, but because we have so much, we are so unwilling to give anything up. And again, it's not because God needs anything from you. It's because he has something for you. 